Delta Airlines is in a race with fuel prices. Basically, it works like this. Fuel prices have been rising. In fact, Delta's third quarter fuel bill rose 35% year over year. But not only does Delta still want to make money, they want to completely offset these enormous cost increases. Seth, how'd they do in the third quarter? They got most of the way there. Their operating margin did drop two points compared to a year earlier. Well, there's always the fourth quarter. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Editor of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Delta's remarkable Q3 report as earnings season kicks off. Plus, what is bugging American Airlines? Alitalia seems to be close to deciding on a direction. Is it the right one? And WestJet is announcing Dreamliner routes. All that and more is coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with Delta, who earned a 14% operating profit margin in the third quarter. That 14% was down from 16% the year before, 18% the year before that, and 20% the year before that. That doesn't sound good at all, but I have a feeling, Seth, you're impressed with these results. Yeah, you mentioned, Jason, in the intro, that 35% increase in fuel costs. So when you're biggest cost item increases by that much and, and you manage to uh, see your operating margin decline by just two points compared to a year earlier, that's that's actually pretty good. The story in terms of mostly, but not entirely, offsetting the fuel increase is that demand was just extraordinarily strong. Um, their, their revenues were up 8% compared to a year earlier during the quarter, and that was double their rate of capacity growth. 4% capacity growth by uh, ASMs. Non-fuel cost performance is very good. It was flat, 0% growth. So basically, when you added it up, uh, that that 35% uh, fuel increase, with all the other costs staying flat, pushed total costs up uh, 11%. As I said, 8% revenue growth. And there's where you have that two-point margin decline. Delta got about, you know, sort of their goal to, to recover 100% of fuel costs on the revenue side. They got about 85% of the way there. And, you know, compared to your peers, uh, that 14% will be uh, better than United, probably a lot better than American. I know you said in the intro, you want to talk about them later. Most ways you slice it, it's a pretty good number, even though, as you said, not as good as, as Delta's own numbers in years. Delta's obviously fighting cost increases by increasing revenues. Where are they finding these revenues? Not in Latin America. Uh, you know, that that is still a, a tough region. Fortunately for Delta, you know, Latin America, important, but not not overwhelmingly important compared to other global regions. Um, you know, domestic unit revenues are, are, are fine, rose 3% during the quarter. And and importantly, you know, in terms of looking at things going forward, they were actually still picking up pace uh, as, as the quarter ended. So that sounds like good news in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Premium demand is just off the charts right now. Uh, you know, transatlantic markets, you know, you've got the, uh, the Air France KLM and the Virgin Atlantic joint ventures now merging into, into one joint venture. You know, the fact that, you know, 
Air Berlin now uh, long gone. That still helps. That was a rather sizable transatlantic airline that's not there anymore. So even with other airlines, you know, in the third quarter, you still had Primera. They're, of course, gone now. Uh, Norwegian, all the rest of it, you know, elevated transatlantic capacity, very, very uh, strong bookings. And, and just premium revenue in general up 19%. Uh, and that's on just a 3% increase in, in, uh, in premium seats. Uh, you know, Delta doing very, very well. And by the way, within that premium number, we're not just talking about the Delta One suites, talking premium economy too. Uh, and Delta says that uh, the sales of premium economy are off to a, a quote, amazing start. And then there's all their other usual sources of revenue that American Express uh, partnership, corporate revenue, and uh, this, of course, relates. It's not a separate thing entirely from premium revenue. But if you look just at corporate revenue, also just doing very, very well as the economy, you know, for now, anyway, remains uh, very strong. Uh, so, you know, uh, corporate fair revenue. So these are large negotiated contracts uh, that was up 12%, which is not to say that leisure demand isn't doing well too. That too is strong. So yeah, revenue wise, uh, pretty much wherever you look, you know, whether you slice it by geography or by the, the kind of purpose of travel, all to varying degrees doing doing rather well, as I said, with the exception of, 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 of Latin America. And they haven't fully realized the benefits of the Korean Air JV yet, have they? No, yeah, no. And that's, that's uh, really another exciting opportunity. They're clearly excited about Asia, where, by the way, things are already doing well. Unit revenues in Asia up 5% during the quarter. Uh, all of their most important markets, Japan, South Korea, China, even better than that. They're, they're, they're now ready to start growing again in Asia. For the past several years, the story in terms of stabilizing Asia has been uh, you know, capacity cuts, You know, just, just uh, to kind of stop the bleeding there. Uh, but now they feel good about that Korean Air partnership. Uh, they also have their their more modest partnership with with China Eastern, and so that's an area of of growth. Again, uh, by the way, speaking of joint ventures, we mentioned the uh, the transatlantic ones. We just mentioned Korean Air. I mean, of course, they have Aero Mexico too, Virgin Australia, modest joint venture there. WestJet, don't forget, that's still just here launching the uh, the, the the joint venture with with WestJet. JVs and you know an ongoing area of strength, and yeah, Asia finally now. Not, you know, for a little while here, we sort of talked about Latin America and Asia in the same bucket the past couple of years. Asia is kind of out of that category now. And, and that is good news for, for Delta. Asia, not as important to Delta as, as it is, let's say, to United, but, but certainly a, a, a very meaningful part of the, uh, the network. So they narrowly lost the race between rising fuel and rising revenues this time. But they can try again in the fourth quarter. How confident are you that they could do it. And how big of a deal is this? Yeah, it would be quite an achievement, wouldn't it? And, you know, just based on their guidance right now, it, it's, it looks possible. Uh, you know, they're, they are um, right now guiding a 9 to 11% pre-tax margin. So that's not, not equivalent. We generally talk operating margin here. Uh, pre-tax margin is it's the net margin, but with the taxes taken out, basically. So net margin includes interest costs and some other things that operating margin doesn't include, but then uh, taking the tax out. So anyway, so by that metric, which is what they use when they're, with their guidance, they're saying 9 to 11%. And fourth quarter last year, they, they hit 10%. So, uh, so they could do it. They think they can do it for all of 2019. That's, that's their goal. So, so let's, let's see. You know, these, 
these airlines have said um, for a number of years now, these U.S. airlines that, you know, they don't really care where, where fuel costs are. They can make money at, at, at any level. You know, it's the volatility is the problem. Well, so far, you know, we, we haven't yet had a long enough period of fuel costs sort of staying like somewhat high but stable to be able to, to really see if that's true. I mean, so far, it's still, we ran a, a graph in Airline Weekly this week. We actually took Delta's operating margins and, and plotted them against fuel costs. And I mean, so far, the past five years, there's no question still that when fuel is expensive, uh, you know, Delta's operating margins, and we used them as the example, but you know, just because you know, they just reported, but it could, could have been any of these airlines. Uh, you know, when fuel's expensive, the starting point is your costs go up and your profits go down until you figure out a way to offset the revenue. And, and, and like I said, so far, we haven't had a long enough period of, of, of sort of stable fuel prices to see if it's true that they can get the revenues to fully catch up to the costs. Uh, so let's see what, go- what happens here going forward. Um, you know, if fuel kind of stays around the levels where it's been, yeah, they feel like they're on track to do that to fully recover the costs. And, um, yeah, so far, so far, so good. I mean, they've, 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 again, they've gotten most of the way there despite fuel prices not yet having leveled off for an extended period of time, even, even, you know, the, the, they're off some of their recent highs. One airline that is not handling the current cost environment all that well seems to be American. The airline is expected to report margins in the 5 to 7% range. That's not too good for the peak quarter. Certainly not compared to Delta and not even compared to Americans' year-ago results. What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, well, look, w- one thing is uh, Latin America. I mentioned that. It's not good news for any of these airlines. But it's a bigger problem for American than it is uh, for for either of its competitors, United or Delta. Uh, you know, American is sort of what Asia is to United. You know, this one region. If you kind of think of the big global regions that are important to these U.S. airlines, so it's sort of you know Europe, Latin America, and uh, and East Asia for them, right? You know, for for them, Australasia or South you know Southeast Asia, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, not as big part of the revenue picture for these airlines but for them it's really europe latin america asia east asia and uh, but each one is kind of more important each one of those regions is kind of more important to uh, to one of these airlines and yeah for american it's latin america so when when things are tough there uh, things are going to be tough for the airline and that is the case but even asia which is not nearly as big of a problem nearly as big a part of the story for American as it is for, uh, you know, for let's say United, you know, there were, there were a few markets that were doing so badly there that they were dragging down the airline. And I'm talking about those Chicago flights to, to, to China, which they've, which they've ended. Uh, you know, they probably didn't want to, they're kind of the you know, Chicago, very competitive market against United. An airline like American probably hates to stop flying from Chicago to you know, Beijing and Shanghai, but it was just, just just those couple routes. The losses were so big that they were dragging down the airline and they uh, they stopped. Look, they had that uh, the IT issues at a regional carrier, you know, last quarter. They were affected more by by uh, by Hurricane Florence in in the uh, in the Carolinas than uh, than anybody else. Basic economy. They made that change a few months ago, where they said, "Okay, uh, you know, now you can bring bags on, uh, carry on bags on, even if you have basic economy." Um, you know, Delta had never stopped, had never stopped allowing bags, and they, uh, you know, said that 
their their product was uncompetitive, basically, that they had to just go back and match Delta. Um, so yeah, a number of things have gone wrong. They do seem as far away as ever from uh, from catching Delta. And even at this point, United for a little while here has been uh, has been doing better. So yeah, a turnaround or at least a sort of clear bottom in Latin America would, would be a good thing. Uh, for them, by the way, you know, joint ventures. We talked about it with Delta. For American, something to worry about is is uh, related to Brexit. The UK, of course, leaving the uh, European Union. Now their joint venture with with IAG, with British Airways uh, specifically, is being reviewed by uh, by regulators in in the uh, in the UK. Uh, that's clearly a very important relationship for American. And so, you know, no sign right now that anything's going to change with that. But uh, but that's something for them to watch. You mentioned Hurricane Florence, and I guess American got beat up pretty well by that storm. How did U.S. airlines in general weather the hurricane season? Hurricane Florence, as I said, American was more impacted than anybody else. Charlotte hub, but they, you know, they actually got kind of lucky. They 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 pre-canceled a number of flights. Um, as it turned out, the storm, I mean, the storm was was awful, caused all kinds of devastation and loss of life. But in airline terms, American called it about a $50 million hit to its earnings. You know, basically it caused, it obliterated parts of, of, of the coast of the Carolinas, but it, it, it just didn't end up being that big of a deal for, for airline operation. Not like, you know, if you, if you go back, you know, your earlier Houston, that kind of thing, it, it just didn't happen to, you know, cripple a hub in the way that other storms have done. Uh, now here in the fourth quarter, Hurricane Michael came ashore in the panhandle of of, uh, of Florida. That you know has been an issue for for airlines as well. Delta said Hurricane Florence is about a thirty million dollar hit to it. Um, you know some impact in just in southeastern markets in general. You know when you see uh, the place like Charleston, South Carolina, kind of a mid sized airport, can- you know, canceling a lot of flights. That's going to hit airlines like American and Delta because of their hubs in Charlotte and America and, and, and Atlanta, where a lot of those flights go. JetBlue said that a few storms in September, you know, had a meaningful, not a huge, but a meaningful impact uh, to it. Hawaiian, Hurricane Olivia caused a fair amount of damage and a fair amount of just kind of bad publicity for Hawaii for a little while, uh, people canceling trips and everything. So that impacted their third quarter too. So yeah, it was an active hurricane season, not one where you're looking at, air, at airlines individually reporting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of impact or, or that sort of thing. Certainly there have been storms in the past hurricanes as well as snowstorms that in airline terms ha- have have been more financially impactful uh, even though these storms to be clear have been you know, awful for people on the ground meanwhile over in italy a plan is being floated to save alitalia it involves surprise surprise taxpayer money seth do you think this bailout will finally right the ship at alitalia mm, no okay care to elaborate <laughs> Yeah, it, it, look, it, it's well. First, you've got this, this sort of coalition of populist parties running the place now. Who, the, the, I mean, just in terms of their economic acumen, I think I think there's uh, still a lot of question in general about that. So this is now several times that there's been some sort of a restructuring of a restart for Alitalia you know, fresh start, new company kind of thing. And there's, I just don't know if there's any reason to believe that this one's going to work, whereas others haven't, you know, particularly if there's still going to be a fair amount of political influence and, and meddling with the airline. You know, it's, it's not, of course, that you can't have a government-owned airline that, that you know, runs competently and 
it's just that there's that's never happened in 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 Italy over the years so far. There are other airlines that are still willing to be seem willing to be involved in some way. There's the Italian railway that's interested in, in synergies between short haul and long haul. And Alitalia still does have a a uh, you know a, a formidable network. You know, in terms of their short haul network, never lose sight of the fact that Ryanair, and I think this is this is a good answer to a trivia question. That a lot of people wouldn't realize. You know, its single biggest country market is Italy. As long as that's the case, and as long as you know Alitalia has to sort of subsidize its long haul network with very tough short haul flights, look, you root for them. A, there have been examples around the world where. You know, things don't work until they do. Many um, airlines that have, of course, turned themselves around. But, you know, whether you can bet on them right now, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that they have a, a clear enough direction. Uh, and I think that's what you said back in the intro, right? They have a new direction, but it's right. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that there's enough right now to look at them and say that they are going to be um, the world's next great turnaround story, even though it would indeed be be quite be quite a story. In Canada, WestJet announced where it's flying its first three Dreamliners. They're going to be based in Calgary and fly to London Gatwick, Paris, and Dublin. Is that pretty much what you were expecting? Well, I don't I don't know what I was expecting. You probably should ask me before they announced it, right? Then we then we then we then we could document whether I whether I was right or wrong. Yeah, no, I, I don't um I don't know that I would have guessed um necessarily that they would sort of start to first build scale in Calgary. Clearly what they've decided is to mostly stay out of the way of other airlines. Now Air Canada does fly between Calgary and London, um, but that's the only overlapping nonstop route of those three. Air Canada does um Calgary, London, and Calgary, Frankfurt, and as you said, WestJet's going to do Calgary uh, to London, Paris, and and Dublin. So, seems like they're betting first on sort of staying out of the way, uh, which you know the trade off there is as as opposed to let's say going and trying to do, you know, Toronto to 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 Paris, let's you know, the highly competitive market. Uh, or you know Montreal for that matter to Paris another highly competitive market you know they're sort of betting on okay these markets are smaller but at least um, we'll have them to ourselves on a, on a nonstop basis in, in the case of Paris and Dublin let's let's see the broader experiment with long haul flying we've talked about it before is a tough one um, you know they have big expensive airplanes and they're going to have to find a lot of revenue to uh, to offset the uh, the the cost of of what they're doing and uh and then we'll have to see what they get you know as they continue growing the operation are they going to try to penetrate deeper into sort of secondary markets from uh, from calgary or are they going to say okay now it's time to go up uh head to head more against air canada from toronto montreal vancouver uh, uh perhaps but uh yeah certainly uh certainly interesting by the way jason if we're, if, as long as we're talking about uh you know canadian airline uh flying it it's big American-built planes for the first time to to new places. Let's talk about it. That airline's joint venture partner, Delta, uh, in the U.S., where it's going to fly its smaller Canadian-built planes for the first time. I'm talking, of course, about the uh, the A220 that Delta you know, took delivery of its first. And uh, Delta announced um, last week that they're going to be flying their those 220s from uh, initially from New York LaGuardia to Boston. And to Dallas, Fort Worth, those are its first two markets that are already on sale. Uh, then up next, uh, Detroit to Dallas, Fort Worth, and 
uh, New York LaGuardia to Houston Intercontinental. So I know that's not as sexy as 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 you know Calgary Dublin, but pretty neat to see uh, what 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 Delta is going to do with with its smaller shiny new airplanes. Let's finish the show in Russia. In 2014, Aeroflot launched its low-cost unit, Pobeda, which seems to have been a hit. Is this another rare example of a low-cost airline within another airline succeeding? Yeah, and it would indeed be rare, wouldn't it? You know, you look around the world, and really, it's Jetstar is is the one clear example. You know, we're, we're, you can look at the financial results; they're broken out clearly. And Jetstar is, has been a hit for uh, for 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 Qantas, and you can say that about Pobeda now. I mean, they 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 same thing here. Airflot reports the numbers, and uh, you know this this was a, this was a unit that was that was clearly profitable in in 2017. So you know you, you'd have to say. Absolutely, and in fact, Aeroflot CEO has uh, told you know, told Russian media last week that the it'll earn very large. That's a quote: very large profits again uh, here in 2018, even with uh, higher fuel prices. Uh, higher fuel prices in Russia, by the way, they also drive revenue strength because Russia, of course, has a uh, a, a petro economy. So, uh, so if you're an airline in Russia, on one hand, you have to deal with the uh, you know with your own higher costs, but on the other hand, you, you do get the revenue benefit from rising oil prices and what that means for uh for 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 demand this is this is an airline that uh, by the way they published some numbers last week a uh, load factor 93 percent for the first half of the year i mean load factor doesn't tell you everything we develop a plane at very low fares for the first half of the year it uh it did again make money just one percent net for the first half of the year uh you know the the, the third quarter would be where a lot of its uh, strength would have come from the aeroflot seems to have succeeded where so many others have have failed and uh, in launching a, a low-cost airline within an airline. Well, I hope we've succeeded in entertaining our listeners a little bit. That concludes episode 107 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. As always, if you like the show, share it with your colleagues. They can subscribe to the Airline Weekly Lounge through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever they get their podcasts. They can also subscribe at airlineweekly.com. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us. 